Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, teaching pastor at Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith, as well as our You Asked For It series, where we address your questions about trusting God's goodness as Father and living out His fullness as beloved sons and daughters. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at myoverflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional at Amazon.com. There was a man, as the story goes, who found himself trapped on a deserted island. And seasons came and seasons went, and unlike Tom Hanks, this poor man didn't even have Wilson to keep him company. And finally, five years passed before suddenly a helicopter flying over a rescue team saw and spotted the man and immediately called for backup and help and rescue. And as they descended on the island, they were stunned to find that though it was a deserted island, there were three very well-constructed buildings. And kind of puzzled, they scratched their heads and they said, wait a second, we were, we were under the impression that you were the only one here on the island. To which the man nodded in agreement. And they said, well then we have to ask, what are these three buildings? And the man without hesitation said, oh, well this one here, that's my house. And this one, that's my church. And then he turned away from the other building and wouldn't even lift his head and say another word and Finally, when it came to the point of awkwardness, they said, well, and um, <clears throat> the other building turned away from it, clearly offended. The man said, oh, that's the church I used to go to. <laughs> Any person with whom you share close physical or emotional space over time is a relationship where there will be conflict. Let me say that again for the people in the back. Any person with whom you share close physical or emotional space over time is a relationship where there will be conflict. What am I talking about? Any person you walk with close physically. So growing up, if you were a sibling and you shared rooms together, and maybe right now you find that you're doing that, or you're off at college and you have a, a roommate or you're married and you have a live-in roommate, right? A spouse that you walk with all the time. Maybe when you go to work, the people that you work with in the cubicle or the office next to you. If there are people that you are spending many hours with in a closely confined space, please hear me. That is a relationship where you will face conflict. Further than that, any emotionally close relationship. What are we talking about? We're talking about the people that you choose to let into your heart. The people that you let into your secrets, your values, your dreams, your fears, those you draw close to trust, conflict will be inevitable. Please understand, I'm not cursing you when I say that any close physical or emotional relationship will lead to conflict. Why is that true? It's real simple. Because you're not Jesus and neither are they. 
And so because of that, if we come close, there is going to be conflict. So I want you to look at the neighbor next to you, and I want you to say this. Say, if we're close, or I love you, we will face conflict. And that's okay. See, that's the truth. If we're close, or I love you, I want to say this as your pastor. If we're close, or I love you, and I do, we will face conflict. And that's okay. Conflict can actually lead us to the relationships of the greatest depth and the greatest trust. The Bible says that iron sharpens iron, but that only happens through friction. It only happens through conflict. And as I've thought about this, and I want you to think in your own life, the people that I trust most are the relationships that have been through the fire. They're the ones that we've gotten past the niceties and the politeness and the always putting on our best behavior. No, we've been close physically and emotionally over time. We've seen each other on good days and bad days. Because of that, what it means is that we both had to repent for times of careless words and careless deeds. And as we've humbled ourselves and responded like love and mercy, these are the relationships that have made it to the other side of the furnace of fear and suspicion and hurt to depth. The last two weeks, Pastor Aaron has powerfully been leading us in this brand new message series, Peacemaker. And where she started the series, she talked about peace neurologically. The way that God wired us, the way that we're designed, that God made us to live in peace, but that within us we have this fight or flight mechanism when conflict comes, that we either want to run from it or we want to defend ourselves. Last week she talked about what I could only call as peace psychologically, peace in our relationship with one another and how we choose to come to each other. Today I want you to get your dictionary out for this because I want to talk to you about peace ecclesiologically. Oh, that's a big word. What does that mean? Well, ecclesiology is the study of the church. I want to talk about peace in the relationships that you walk in with others who bear the name of Christ. Now, I know maybe I'm the only person that has ever encountered this, but sometimes when you walk with Jesus and you meet other people who know Jesus, you run into conflict. Did you know that? Did you know that sometimes people who, who serve Jesus don't love very much like him or look very much like him? Has anybody ever found conflict in your life with another believer? Please don't look across the room. There's one person who's found conflict with another believer. Has anybody... Y'all. Here's what I need you to do for just a minute, okay? Open your ears. Let's take the mask. Ready? Anybody had conflict with another believer? Has anybody? Because listen, i got to tell you this. After 20 years, people have asked me about being a pastor, and they want to talk about how dark and how difficult the world is. I want to tell you, my greatest conflicts have had nothing to do with the world. They've had everything to do with relationships with people who bear the name of Christ. The most difficult people I've had to walk with in my life have been other believers. Can anybody else attest to that? So I want to talk about how we walk through conflict with other people who bear the name of Christ. Before we're done today, I'm going to share four steps that would lead us biblically to resolve conflict. But before that, this is super important. Because for us as believers, as Christians, there are four ways that I would say are popular but totally unhealthy in the way we deal with conflict. Four popular but unhealthy ways we deal with conflict, and here's what they are. The four ways. Number one is to gloss it over. Number two, to grin and bear it. Number three, to gossip. And number four, to go to war. 
And as Pastor Aaron has been talking about, these two kinds of responses that we have really fall into these categories. Either we will find ourselves nullifying conflict, trying to avoid it and run, flight, or we'll find ourselves vilifying in contact, going to defend ourselves and and walk into that place where we're going to stand in a way that would not honor God. So what are the ways that we respond that believers have done that are popular but they're not healthy? The first is this. We gloss it over. We ignore the conflict as no big deal. I call this the Hakuna Matata response. It's the place where we come and we show up and we say, oh, it's fine, it's fine, I'm fine, we're fine. By the way, if you're saying that all the time, I'm not sure who you're trying to convince because the people are always saying, I'm fine, I'm fine, it's fine, it's fine. They're not fine, okay? If you're in a conflict with somebody and they say, it's fine, just please trust me in advance, it's not fine. It's not fine. They go further, they say this, well, it's probably, maybe it's just I misunderstood it. Or maybe it's my fault. In this response of glossing it over, I think the most popular one for Christians is we laugh it off and we go, oh, that's funny. We're just different. And as we look at this, this is what happens. This response of glossing it over is prone to happen the first minute somebody that you've been physically or emotionally close to, somebody that you've trusted, crosses your boundary for the first time. This could be the place where we step in and we rationalize and we minimize. We tell ourselves that it's silly for us to be upset over that, so we convince ourselves that we're not, even though it's very clear that we are. And at this point, here's the important thing that happens in conflict. A seed of doubt has been planted. We've gone from somebody where all of our walls were down, and suddenly in an area of our life we have to ask the question, are they safe? But instead of running straight to it, we try to deal with it by trying to push it away and ignore it. I want us to understand as Christians, this is a very different thing than the love that covers a multitude of sins. Because here, we're refusing to even recognize the gravity of our hurt. We're looking to push away and to push under a rug. And what's actually happening is all that stuff you're pushing under a rug is becoming a defensive wall that is closing out true vulnerability and depth. And we tell ourselves as Christians that that means we're being patient and that means we're being spiritual. But I want to say this in love. It is not a spiritual response to gloss over offense. In fact, it's dishonest. It's dishonest with you, it's dishonest with them, and it's dishonest with God. And it is a setup for rejection. I'll go a little bit further than this. If you're wanting relationships of depth, the day will come, if you're one who has always glossed it over, that you can't anymore. And when that day comes, someone you love We'll get the whole enchilada of every person and every pattern you feel has ever stolen from you. So somebody right now, if you're one of these, you need to hear this. Christianity is not polite passivity. It is courageous humility. Christianity is not polite passivity. I hear people say that sometimes, like, Jesus is just such a gentleman all the time. Jesus just never crossed anybody's boundaries. You need to read all of the Gospels, first of all. But beyond that, I want to say that we have this problem with confusing Christianity with just being polite and being passive. To the contrary, Christianity at its truth is courageous humility. The second response we find is this. After we move from the response uh, of trying to just gloss it over, it's the response to grin and bear it. This is where we step in and we avoid tension whenever this topic comes up around this person by biting our tongue and hoping it'll go away. And here's what I mean. When you get around this person and they've crossed your boundary, what you'll find is that in many areas, you can be completely yourself. 
You drop your guard, you're having fun, things are great, but the minute they get anywhere near that place where they hurt you or they hurt your trust, that place where you're struggling to trust them, suddenly your guard goes up and what you find that you're doing at that place where you don't trust them with that, you bite your lip and you wait for the moment to pass. And here's the problem that you start to question their motives in your heart quietly. Last week, Pastor Erin said this. She said, suspicion is the enemy of trust. Suspicion is the enemy of trust. But at this point, here's what happens. We begin to suspect ulterior motives. We begin to question their judgment. We brace ourselves for attack and grief and loss. And all the while, we never say a word out loud. We just rehearse over and over again what we would say or what we will say if it ever comes to it. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Where you play over in your head and then they're going to say this. And if they say this, I'm going to say that. And I'm going to tell them that. And we'll run that tape over and over and over. But meanwhile, we're smiling. I'm fine. We're fine. It's fine. Okay, maybe that's hitting a little too close to home. We wonder maybe it'll blow over. We find ourselves in this Christian response saying, God, would you show them? And I want to say that prayer is awesome. The passivity isn't. The prayer to say, God, would you please show them what's going on? That's awesome. But Christianity is courageous humility. And this is what I find happens in the Grin and Barrett stage. Suddenly that one area where you don't trust them starts to grow over time. It starts to touch other places and other regions. And when, you remain, when they remain blind to this and you remain silent, it's only a matter of time before you step away from the relationship, both either physically or emotionally. And as I think about this, the graveyards of relationships where one person felt assaulted or rejected or not honored and the other never even knew it. The graveyards where those relationships have died are massive. I think about how many friendships have drowned silently. The third wrong response that we have is we move to gossip. Now, at this point, we move from quiet responses from the internal to the external. And when we get to the point of gossip, there's a key word that you need to listen for. The key word is process. I need to process this. I need to process it for sure. I'm a processor. I'm one that needs to think out loud. So if I ever call you to tell you something that could take two minutes and I'm processing it, buckle up. It's going to take a little while for me to get there. I want you to know, by the way, When you show up here and I preach for an hour, I've already processed it. Can you imagine what my wife had to hear before I got here? So processing is important, but this is what you hear with gossip, and I want you to get this. Gossip takes place when you decide to process with someone who's not a direct part of the process of restoration. Somebody hear that again. Gossip is when you choose to process with someone who is not a direct part of the process of restoration. By now, what you find is what this person has done. You're mad and you're hurt. And so you go to a loved one, you go to a spouse, a friend, a coworker, and you begin to open up about everything you've silently been feeling. And the minute your mouth opens, the kettle boils over. And you let out all of your pain, all of your doubts, all of your questions. And because all of it is unprocessed, the tendency is to ruminate over and over and over again. But here's the problem. You're not doing this with the person who hurt you who often still has no idea they hurt you. 
You're not doing this with a mutual party that you both receive as a direct line for restoration. This is not you saying, listen, let me be as brief as possible. I need help restoring with this person that hurt me, and we both trust you. Can we meet? It's not that. No, in fact, what this is, is this is a court case where the defendant didn't get invited. You've shown up and said, I'm going to lay out everything they've done, and I have no legal representation for them. I want you to hear all of my side because I'm hurt. And this is what I find. Usually in this stage, somebody has gone to God a little bit, but they'll say something like, but I need somebody with a face that I can talk to. And so they start to open up all of these unprocessed emotions, which means also many of them are untrue and unfair and incomplete. And they do that before another person, and they feel justified because I have to process, because of how this hurt me, because of what this did to me. And you find this is the stage where self-righteousness usually starts to bloom out of the ground, cloaked in holiness. If it's left unchecked there, it goes to a final response. And that's when we go to war. This is when a narrative forms. Now offense has become full bloom. Sides are taken and shots are fired. And from the last step to this one, a lot of changes have taken place. In fact, now there's no longer any questions. Motives have been filled in at every place there was silence, and they've been assigned. Gossip spreads like wildfire with people passionate from either side to take up the cause of the other, and somewhere, either by the people directly involved or by their advocates, conflict boils over. But by this point, this has become a whole thing. And now what we find can only be described by the word division. Division of groups of friends, church splits, family battle lines where some people aren't able to come over during Thanksgiving and we don't talk to that side of the family, which I can remember from growing up how painful that can be. And everybody wonders, how did it ever come to this? In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus graciously gives his followers another way. And it's not a way of glossing over, it's not a way of grinning and bearing it, it's not a way of gossiping, and it's not a way of going to war. It's a way that he can only refer to as peacemaking. And what he means by peacemaking is this, that you and I step into any room where there is not presently peace. And as far as it depends on us, we make peace come there. In Matthew chapter 18, he talks about how to do that when we're in relationships with other believers. And he says this, Matthew 18, verses 15 to 17. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that with every charge it would be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, then tell it to the church. As we look here and we look throughout the Bible, there's this very clear process of restoration with what do we do when we've run into a conflict with another person who claims and bears the name of Christ? In his book, The Peacemaker, Ken Sandy laid out four steps to biblical restoration that he calls the four G's that are so good, I'm not even going to fly in other language. I think he's hit it spot on. And so I want to share four steps of how we walk through biblical reconciliation and conflict resolution. The four G's of healthy conflict resolution are this, to glorify God, to get the log out of your own eye, to gently restore, and to go and be reconciled. 
It starts with glorifying God. This is the place where we come and ask the question, how can I please and honor God in the midst of this situation? Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. When conflict comes in your life and my life, where do we tend to go first? Where does our attention immediately turn? There are a few questions. It's who's right and what are my rights, right? That's where we go. Who's right? I want to know who's right and who's wrong, and I want to know how my rights have been violated and how restitution is going to be made so that I can be back in the right position. We want to establish stances. We want to establish who's right. But as my friend Caleb Hires, the senior leader at the resting place, often says, you can be totally wrong in the way you are right. Isn't that good? You can hold the right stance and the wrong belief and carry yourself in a way that looks nothing like Jesus. You could be totally wrong in the way you are right. So when conflict comes, where do we start? The Bible says this. It says, I look to the hills to whom my help comes from, the maker of heaven and earth. When I find right now that I'm in the midst of conflict, I need to remember, I feel like I'm stolen from, I feel like I'm under attack, but you're the strong tower. You're my savior. You're my provider. And when the dust settles from this, you're asking me, though I'm hurt, to respond like you. Ephesians chapter 5, it says this. It says, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. You find yourself in the place where you're hurt. Where do we start? You start saying, Jesus, my eyes want more than anything to be on them. My eyes right now want to be mad at them of where they're wrong and where they hurt my rights. Or my eyes want to be on me. I want to be a victim right now, and I want to talk about everything I've lost. But the first place I need to turn my eyes is I need to turn my eyes to the hills to look to you. And I need to ask a question. Jesus, in everything I'm feeling, what do you say? And I need to stay in that moment and give you a chance to speak. By the way, if you want to know where I feel most Christians miss it in conflict resolution, it's right in point number one. We're too quick to speak and not quick enough to listen. And I'm not talking about listening to the person you have conflict with. I'm talking about listening to your creator, who is the only one that can hold and sustain you. That we come and say, Jesus, I'm going to listen to you now. And here's what I'm going to ask. Jesus, what do you have to say about this situation? Jesus, what is it that you have to say about them right now? Because I have a whole lot of my own opinions. I have a whole lot of things I'm feeling, but, but we're brothers and sisters, and you created them, and you only play favorites. You adore them. So what do you say about your child that's hurt me? Jesus, what do you say about me right now? And it's in this place where we're staying before God before we've opened our mouth that we're allowed and invited to pour out our heart and to allow God to heal it, to give all of that unresolved, unprocessed emotion. That's why I believe we got the book of the Psalms. When you read the Psalms, you hear David say some crazy things. And when David shows up in one of the Psalms when he was particularly hurt and said, you know what I want, God? I want you to take my enemies, pregnant women, and rip them open and dash their babies' heads against rocks. God said, make that one a church song. What? Why in the world would God allow that to be stated? And I want to tell you, in case you're wondering, no, that's not the heart of our Father for his creation. It's the way that he welcomes sons and daughters to come directly to the throne of grace with confidence for help in their time of need. He said, I can handle that unprocessed. You don't need to clean that up before you come to me. You can come to me with all the hurt. 
You can come to me with all the unprocessed. You can lay it out and pour it all down at my feet. You can cast your cares before me because I care for you. But listen, while you're down on your knees before me, you also need to lay down your rights and your right to be right. Because if it's really true that I'm your savior, that I'm your deliverer, that what I'm calling you to do before you open your mouth is to respond in a way that is worthy of who you've become in me. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it says this. It says, we demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. When I first memorized this verse, they didn't have so many modern versions of the Bible. And so the way this one spoke is it said, we cast down vain imaginations. What is that talking about? Casting down vain imaginations, it's, it's daydreams that are narrated by the accuser where they're the enemy and I'm the right one and I imagine how I'm going to stand in and defend myself. And Paul's showing up and saying, no, if you bear the name of Christ, we don't ever play in that arena. We don't ever play in the arena where we play over and over and over again. I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say this, and I'm going to do, say that, and I'm going to do that. Because we're going to stand at the place where we're going to recognize, hear me please, that you don't eat God's fruit picking from the enemy's tree. Imaginations of accusation have no place among those who have tasted salvation. Somebody that's good, you need to receive it right now. Listen, we're not getting the problem right now hearing that the church is just too kind, too forgiving, too loving, and too great. You want to know what most people say about Christians? They're too opinionated. And if you don't agree with their opinions, they'll draw lines in the sand of who's in and who's out. So hear me. When we're talking about, but Jesus said, all men will know you're my disciples by what? Not by your doctrine, not by how right you are, not by how you exercise your rights, not by God, guns, and glory, but by the way you love one another, believers. The way you choose to walk as brother and sister will show the whole world that I'm real because you will have a countercultural way of resolving conflict. But please hear me. We do not get God's fruit picking from the enemy's tree. Imaginations of accusation have no place among those who have tasted salvation. We go to the place where we've been hurt. We've got to start by saying, okay, I'm going to glorify God first. Before I say anything, Father, I'm going to get your report. The second step is this. We've got to get the log out of our own eye. This is where we ask the question, where do I need to take responsibility for my part? And listen, I'm going to tell you what, what boils in me when I've been wronged is I know right away. It's easy, by the way, to complain about what somebody else has done wrong for you, to you, right? Can we agree about that? It's real easy to see that real clearly. They did this, and I'm ticked for these reasons. But this question is the one Jesus says we need to be asking before that. Where is it that I need to take responsibility for my part in this conflict? Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said it this way. He said, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Thank you, Jesus. That was subtle. That's awesome. He said, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. If you've ever come to see me for counseling at a place where you and another believer have had a falling out, there's a high likelihood that I have frustrated you at some point. And the reason is because I've made a decision that I'm going to counsel the person in the room. 
So sometimes people will meet with me and they'll say, but Pastor Chuck, they did this and they did this and they did it. Don't you think that was wrong? And don't you think what they did was, was terrible? And don't you think that doesn't look very much like Jesus? Pastor Chuck, what do you think? And I say, I think they're not in the room right now. I think I'm not them. I think right now the only viewpoint I have is the view from the point in which you're standing, which is one when you're very, very hurt. And so instead of me giving my opinion about something I wasn't present for about them, I'm going to choose instead to counsel you because you're sitting in the room. And the question I need to ask you is, what is your part in this? See, that's not about, well, well, Pastor Chuck, are you saying that you think the percentage is this much them and this much me? No, I'm not even thinking about that. I'm not that smart. I've cashed that one out. Wasn't there. Don't know who's to blame, but I do know this. In every conflict I've ever faced in my life, there's a part that I had to own up to. And Jesus says that that part goes first. And so as I've gone before them, I'll tell you, as I counsel, I am quick to be compassionate, to weep with those who weep. If you've come and shared heartbreak, it doesn't take much for my heart to break right along with you and to hear the whole story of everything that you're going through. But when we're done with that and it's time to respond, my question will always be the same. What is Jesus saying to you? is your part to respond. Where have you been blind? Where have you been complicit? Or I'll ask the question, what is it that happened before this moment? Because you and I know, when big conflict comes between people, it's very rarely over the issue they're arguing over, right? It's very rarely over that moment. No, trust has been eroding silently over time, where it's been glossed over, and it's been, we're gonna grin and bear it, and it's been gossip, and now it's gotten to this thing that has exploded, and now that it's come out, as they're starting to share, what's your opinion? What do you think? I'm going to ask this. When you think over the course of your relationship together, is there anything that you have done that would have contributed to the falling away? And this isn't about pointing guilt. This is about wisdom. Because our enemy is not against flesh and blood. And so this is what I say to myself when I'm upset. When I'm tempted to pick up a weapon, it would be better to look in the mirror. When I'm tempted to pick up a weapon, they did this, they did this, I'm right, my rights, it would be better to start and say, no, it feels like there's this big thing that's so obvious and so blatant in their eye they can't see. But Father, I'm going to lay that down. I'm going to look instead in the mirror and say, reveal what's in my eye. Reveal what's going on. Give me your perspective on what you're saying my part is. And I will say this. Through the years as I've counseled, those who can receive that walk in great emotional and spiritual relationships. But those who continually minimize or trivial this, trivialize this always have someone who's a problem because they'll never take responsibility. We've got to get the, the log out of our own eye. The third step is this. We come to the place that we've gone before God to glorify him. We've poured out our heart. We've looked in the mirror at our own part. And now it's finally time to step out. What do we do? We gently restore. This is where we ask the question, where do we need to humbly, confidently address the hurt that is between us so that this gulf that is between us can come back together? Galatians 6.1 says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. This is the step, and never before this, that you move from your heart to theirs. But when you move to their heart, here's the first question you need to ask. Not, what did they do that was wrong? That's easy. The first question you need to ask is, where is it I can see where they're coming from? Where is it they've hurt me, and as I step back from the moment, I step back from the emotion, I can put myself in their shoes? 
What is it they're afraid to lose? What is it they feel is under attack? What is it right now that they're really upset about? And when I shift into their perspective, I can actually see whether I agree or not. I'm not going to vilify them anymore. That's spiritually lazy to vilify another person. It's the game of accusation. I'm instead going to put myself in their shoes, and I'm going to say, where can I understand where they're coming from? I'll go even further than that. I'll ask the question, where is it that we can agree? One of the things that I was told in debate class when I was in college, and I wish they would practice this in the political debates when it's time to declare the next president. But what they said is when you come together into debate, the, the job is not to vilify the other side and to angrily argue to just figure out who can be the loudest. The job in debate is to come with your head held high, looking in the eyes of somebody who sees the world differently than you in respect. And that the very first thing that you do in respect is you establish as wide of a foundation and base where you can agree before you talk about anything you disagree on. Because there's a million things under the sun that are completely unfruitful that you could be talking about. And instead they say, no, come together and say, what is it we see that's the same? So that person who's hurt you, you start first and think in your mind, where is it we agree? What is it we're both trying to contend for? Maybe we're contending for it different ways, but where is it we both want the same thing? It's where you show up to them, and this is what I would say, if you want my advice, when it's time to walk through the, the, the place where you're going to go to somebody else and you're going to open your mouth, somebody please write this one down, okay? I, because I've done it wrong too many times and bought all the t-shirts. So I'm going to ask you, when it's time to open your mouth, here it is, the first thing that should come out of your mouth is this, here's my part in this that I need to repent of. That's number one. Before you say anything else, here's the part that I need to be responsible for. Here's the way that I carried myself that wasn't honoring to God. Here's the attitude I held in my heart. Here are the other people I went to and talked to about you that weren't you and weren't a part of the process of restoration. And I have no right before Jesus to point out the speck in your eye before I'll recognize that in myself. I need to humble myself first and say, I'm sorry. That's the first one. The second one is this. When you look to them, you don't go. By the way, let me just say this. When you're repenting to somebody, please get rid of the word but in the middle of your repentance, right? I'm really sorry that I said this about you when I was so hurting, but you can be a big jerk sometimes. What you did was you just took a magic eraser over your whole repentance and got rid of it. And the last thing that you left them with is you're a jerk. And sometimes you're a jerk and people are going to like just not be able to carry themselves well. And you're that much of a jerk that even though I'm so holy and carry myself so well that I couldn't even do it. That's actually what you've said when you put the word but in the middle of your repentance. So first you repent, by the way, an apology is a complete sentence. I did wrong, period. Line space, new paragraph, new thought, completely unrelated to the first thought. I did wrong, which I, before God, am completely responsible for, and I have nothing else to add to, because my actions aren't dependent on your reactions. That's good. Somebody needs to write that down. I didn't even know my message, but my actions aren't dependent on your reactions. Somebody write that. Write that down for me. That's good. I'm, I'm going to need that with the kids later. I feel it. New thought. You come down and say, now this is where I've been hurt. And what I would say is this. Before you go, when you're talking about them, the very first thing you can say to them is this. And here's where I hear you. I've taken some time to really think about why you were offended, why you were hurt, and all those things. And before I talk about where we don't agree, I want to share, here's what I believe that you're trying to stand for and that we're trying to stand for together. Here's where I see that you're honoring me. Here's where I see that you're trying to look out for me. Here's where I hear you. 
And then, now guess what? You have a foundation because when you'll start that way, first with repentance and second giving the benefit of the doubt to say I'm believing your heart, accusation clears out of the room and actual construction can come for the kingdom of God and for restoration. I would say this, when you feel wronged by somebody else, it is so important that we remove motive. We have a way of saying, well, they did that and I never would have done that. Well, newsflash, they're not you. And right now, they're probably at home scratching their head about some weird thing that you did that they never would have done because you're two different people and you see the world differently. You don't need to add a motive to it. I'll go a little bit further. I'll say this. When you're you're coming in a time of repentance, please don't bring other people into it. And this is what I mean. It's this phrase. If you ever want to see, if you ever want to see the closest, you're going to see, like, I'm a pretty chill guy. If you want to see Jesus flipping tables, like, coming out of me, come say this next phrase to me talking about one of my brothers or sisters. When you say, well, I have this problem with so-and-so, and, quote, I'm not the only one who feels this way. <laughs> First of all, let me tell you something. Here's the next thing you're going to hear out of my mouth. Great, I want a list. Who are they? Because what I find is normally all these people who feel this way is like you and your mama, right? Like, it's just, it's not, it's not a really long list. It's you and your imaginary voices that have been doing this argument all this time. But this is what I want to remind us. Listen, truth is powerful on its own, and it's best delivered in grace, and it certainly doesn't need the gang from West Side Story coming in to beat it over somebody's head. When you show up, you don't need to bring all the other people who agree with you. If it's true, it will stand on its own. And by the way, if all those other people have a problem, according to Matthew 18, it's their responsibility before God to go directly and seek restoration. You getting in it when you're neither part of the problem nor the solution is putting you in the direct line of gossip and a life full of drama. Cut the anchor and sail on, dearly beloved. And that was my soapbox moment for this morning. (laughs) I want to say this about restoring gently. Gentleness is best seen by the position of our heart. I've walked through a lot of processes in the last 20 years of restoration between believers. And what I found is this, sometimes... People can learn all of the right words and they can learn all of the right tone so that on the outside it looks like they're quoting Bible verses and they're like, oh, I'm so very sorry for how that made you feel. But underneath you can just feel something churning in you because what it is is it's become a tool of passive aggression. Listen, gentleness is not a communication style. It's a state of the heart. Okay? And you cannot walk in gentleness without humility. So if you have not truly come to the place where you've taken the log out of your own eye, and you've not truly come to the place where you have forgiven them, please do not confront them. Let me say that again. If you have not come to the place to take the log out of your own eye and see your own part, or you have not come to the place where you have forgiven them, if you're still steamed and you're still mad and you're still prone to add motive, that is not the time to go and confront them. Let me say further, forgiveness isn't based on their acknowledgement of what they did wrong. Forgiveness is about your heart, not theirs. Forgiveness is you taking this debt of what they cost you. And listen, I'm not going to minimize it. Sometimes they've cost you a lot. They've cost you something in your reputation, something in your marriage, something in your finances, something at your job. They've cost you something dearly, but forgiveness is not once they acknowledge it, once I make them pay, once they earn it back, then I will. No, that's servitude. That's slavery. That's not grace. That's not forgiveness. That's not the gospel. Forgiveness is not based on their acknowledgement. In fact, in many places you're going to have to forgive. It'd be wise for you to never go tell the person because guess what? They don't see what they don't see. 
Forgiveness is when you go to God and you give the debt to Jesus and you ask him to restore. Forgiveness is when you come and say, you know what, Jesus, from now on they've done this to me, but they are off my hook and now they're on yours. And I want to say this in love. There is somebody right now that you need to get somebody off of your hook because it's capsizing your vessel. That where you're walking right now, it's, well, they did this and they did this and it's every waking moment what they did. And I want to say this in love to remind you, they are not your provider. They are not your savior. They are not your definer. That belongs to God and to God alone. Get them off your hook. They have a place they should have come through and they didn't come through. That's a debt. And this is what I'll tell you. If you transfer that debt to that person to God, my God always pays his debts. Jesus, I run into you the strong tower. They did this wrong. I'm giving you the debt right now. I choose to forgive them, period. New thought. No matter what they do tomorrow, I forgive them. I release them. I'm saying you saw more than I did and we're both your beloved children. You handle it. It's above my pay grade, Jesus. New thought. Here's the debt I'm now dealing with because of that action. I give it to you. And I'm not waiting until I see the fruit of it to know that you've taken care of it. I refuse to be a pawn on a chessboard. And I want to tell you, for some of us, I watch Christians living like they're still a pawn on somebody else's chessboard. And what I would say is, then cut the tie and forgive them and stop playing that game. Jesus will repay the debt and he will bless you. Forgiveness is not about you coming to the place where you can trust them. Forgiveness is about releasing them so you can position you back in the place to bless them. Did you get that? Let me say that again. Forgiveness is not about, I need to forgive them and then I need to see how to trust them. No, trust and forgiveness, I'm going to talk about this in just a sec. Totally different. Forgiveness is about you releasing them and stepping into peace so that you are back in position to bless them. That when their name comes back in conversation, that you are seeing them from the Father's perspective and not from your own brokenness and woundedness anymore. The final step of the process is this. We go and be reconciled. At this point now, we've gone walking through with God. We've glorified God. We've, we've fully come to the place to give it to him. We've gotten the log out of our own eye. We've stepped forward to gently restore. And now we make the choice to go and be reconciled. This is where we ask the question, how is it I can take the forgiveness that I've chosen to walk in and do everything in my power to restore the relationship? In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says it this way. He says, if you're offering your gift at the altar... And there you remember that your brother has something against you. Now, hang on. Wait a second. So you're offering your gift to the altar. Where are you? You're at church, okay? If you're at church and there in the middle of the songs, you call my name and I... Oh, Mike's got problems with me. All of a sudden you realize, not that you're ticked at somebody else, but they're mad at you. And notice it doesn't say, and you're right, and you're wrong. No, you're just there, and you're like, somebody's got a problem with me. Guess what? If it includes that, it definitely includes if you have a problem with somebody else. So what he's saying is if you're at a place trying to do this with God, and there you understand that something's broken in this, stop immediately. Somebody else needs to hear that. Because I've watched Christians for a long time, and they have bitterness going through all their relationships here. And church starts on Sunday, and they're like, oh, pray to Jesus, pray to you. I hate you. Go to hell. I hate you. I hate you. Thank you, Jesus. And somebody's going to be more offended that I just said hell than everything else we've been talking. What is Jesus saying? If you're standing before him in worship and you're here saying what is so glorious in your grace of what you've done for me and suddenly you realize it's not glorious here. 
stop. Mid-song, get in your car and leave the church. It says, go and be reconciled to your brother and then come back and offer your gift. I love this picture because what he's saying in this is if you find yourself in this moment, what do you need to do? You're there, you go straight out to your car, and if you need to sit in your car and say, I'm not ready to talk to anybody because my heart is broken, then I'm going to say, Jesus, my number one prayer priority right now is my brother or my sister has hurt me, and I'm taking this right to your throne, and I'm staying as long as I need to, but I'm not going to delay it any longer. I need right now your heart for my brother or sister, and as soon as I go to your throne, I'm running as quickly as possible to my brother or sister that it can be made right. How do we walk through this process of choosing to go and be reconciled? I'm going to give you three words right now. The words are this. I want you to say them with me. Say immediate. Immediate. All right, let's say it like we're not at the dentist office. Immediate. Immediate. Direct. Direct. And complete. complete. So here they are. When you find that it's time to resolve conflict, you've gone before God, you've looked in the mirror, you've looked at yourself, you've gotten a heart of gentleness ready to restore. What do you do? It's immediate, it's direct, and it's complete. The first one. The Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. When you see that you are hurt, you go straight to the throne, and then you go straight to them. And I have to say this over and over and over again because I want to tell you, if it's conflict and it's somebody you've been with close physically or emotionally, you're never going to want to deal with it. You're never going to feel like it. But Jesus says it's more important to him than anything you could do here in church. This is going to church That's being the church. He said, run immediately and make it right. The second is he said, go directly. He says in Matthew chapter 18, he says, go directly to the person one-on-one. I want to say this. There's only one exception to that where you would go directly to the person. And that's if something in the dynamic of your relationship, maybe they're walking as an authority over you, or something in the history of your relationship makes it unsafe where you feel they're not going to hear your heart. Do you get that? If you see somebody in the dynamic of your relationship, okay, they're walking in power and you're walking in a place that you don't think they're going to hear you, they're not going to receive you, or in the history of your relationship that you've seen when you've run into conflict, they tend to see this the way they see it and you see it the way you see it and it's going to lead to more conflict. At that point, the Bible says that you can bring someone along with you that would be an impartial, respected restorer. When Matthew 18 says bring one or two with you, that's not talking about your gang of yes people like, yeah, we agree too. That's not what they're saying. Right? Like, you know, it's not your beat boys standing off by the side just to get their thoughts like, I really think you did wrong. They're like, I don't see it. And you look over and they're like, yeah, yeah, you did wrong. That's not what he's saying. When he says bring somebody, he says bring somebody that would be impartial that both of you would receive as a restorer and go directly. The third one is this. He says that our forgiveness must be complete. Romans 12, 18 is my favorite verse in the Bible to deal with when conflict comes in my life or in ministry. Romans 12, 18 says this. It says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. What's that saying? It's saying when you've walked through the process of, of, of reconciliation on your side, when you've gone before God, you've taken it to prayer, you've taken the log out your own eye, you say this, regardless of what you do today, when I leave, there's peace on my side from now on. Regardless of what you think of me, I can't coerce you. I can't make you feel something about me. I can't do anything different about your response before God. That's between you and him. Whether you forgive me, whether you love me, whether you see me, but on my side, there will be peace. That's what he's saying. There's a difference when we talk about making peace, and I want to say this this last note, and then we're going to activate. Making peace is not trust. 
Forgiveness isn't trust. Give you an example. If right now in the middle of my message, I laid down my car keys here and I walked out of the room for a minute and one of you decided it'd be a great idea to take my car, go out for a joyride and then sell it for profit. I am commanded by God immediately to forgive you, to give the debt of my car to him and to trust him as my provider to come and pay back. Now, you may have consequences for your decision. You may have legal ones, right? But I am commanded, as far as it depends on me, to forgive you and to walk at peace with you. Let me say something, though. If you're thinking when you show up next Sunday that you're ever going to see my car keys sitting on this table again, you got another thing coming. Because I forgive you, but I absolutely don't trust you. The Bible says that Jesus had people coming to follow him, and Jesus didn't entrust himself to them. So when I'm talking about peace, peace isn't trust. Forgiveness isn't trust. It's positioning yourself back into the place, regardless of what they've done, and regardless of if you can trust them again or not, to bless them, to see them as the Father, and to desire the Father's best for them, as far as it depends on you. And the core of this kind of peacemaking can only happen if we have death to our own pride. And this is what I mean. We've got to let go of our need to hold other people accountable of providing for us, defending us, protecting us, and representing us. And we've got to let ourselves off that same hook. You are not responsible to protect, provide, defend, or promote yourself. If making peace has anything to do with trust, it's just not where we think it is. It's actually moving to the place to say, I might not trust them, and I might not even trust my heart around them, but Jesus, I'm choosing to trust you. And because I trust you, I can live at peace with them. At the very end of Matthew 18, Jesus tells a story. The story he tells is about this man who found himself in an enormous amount of debt, a lifetime's worth. And he went before his king, and there was no way he'd ever be able to pay it off, so he was going to be sent to prison on a life sentence. The king looked at the man, and he was moved with compassion, and he completely canceled and forgave the debt. He said, we'll never speak about it again. Your debt is gone. Go and be free. And he was elated until he got just a few steps outside of the door, and then he saw a guy that borrowed a few bucks from him and never paid him back. And he moved quickly from his hands being up just a minute ago, praising the king, to his hands around his brother's neck, strangling him and demanding his money back and demanding that he go to prison. And Jesus showed up and said, hey, listen, it's the same thing when you as a believer choose to walk in unforgiveness, in bitterness, in drama, in gossip towards your brother and sister. I've forgiven you an insurmountable debt that you could never pay. And today I tell you, 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, I am faithful and just. I forgive you all of your sins and I cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But if you're going to hold your hands out like this and praise to me, then you need to drop your hands from coming to strangle your brother or sister and you need to release them and walk in a place where you choose to bless them. God called us to a ministry of not just keeping peace, but stepping into every place where peace would be absent and to make it. And so with that, I want to ask if you would stand with me. And as you stand and you close your eyes, I just have a few questions I want to ask this morning. The very first question is this. I want to ask, who is it in your life right now that you need to forgive? Where is it right now that you say, you know what, that picture you talked about, gosh, it was comical, but it's true. I find myself lifting my hands and praise to God and loving God, but right now, 
I turn after, after leaving that church service and there's this person that has just stolen so much peace. When their name comes up, when they come in the room, when they do that thing, I just get so frustrated with them. What relationship in your life has peace broken down? I just want to say this. Guys, we've all been toxic and unsafe. We've all been in debt that we can't repay. We've all had an unreliable history. But this morning is an opportunity to lay down where we're right and lay down our right to be right. To run to the strong tower to take care of us. To forgive and to seek peace. What relationship in your life right now lacks the peace of God? And here's the important question. What's your part? Where's God saying you go first? Where have you contributed to it? I'm not talking about going back and rehashing and trying to pay old debts. Where is it God's calling you to step out in this relationship where peace has broken down and to play your part? The second question I want to ask is this. We talked about those wrong responses to the way we deal with conflict. Where did you see yourself in it? Right now, would you say, you know what? I've been the one that I gloss over it. I try to ignore it. Try to make a little deal of it. And God's convicting me today that that's not courageous. I need to be honest. Maybe you're one that you grunt and you bear it. And right now, God's showing you somebody. It's not an all-out war. It's just this person that you're called to walk with. And they do certain things that really hurt you and frustrate you. And they've been growing over time. And God's saying it's not enough anymore for you to just bite your lip and hope it'll go away. That he wants you to say, because I love you too much and because where we need to go together is too great, I've got to tell you this thing that's standing between us that you don't even know about. I got to seek peace. Is there any place where the Lord would tell you, you know what, you've been gossiping? I want to tell you, if you've gossiped, I believe that the circle of forgiveness should be as great as the circle of offense. What do I mean? You went and talked to somebody, you went and talked to 10 of your friends about this person. I believe your repentance needs to go to each one of those friends and say, you know what, the way that I acted and the, the heart that I represented was wrong. It's not a good picture of Christ in me, and it's not a good picture of my sister or brother. And I'm asking you to forgive me for airing that unprocessed drama before you. I'm not going to do that anymore. Right now, would you allow the Lord just to put a person, a heart, or a place that he's calling you to resolve conflict. Maybe right now all your relationships are great, but you're saying, I know what happens when conflict comes. And man, next time it comes, I want to respond like Jesus. What I'm going to ask every person in the room to do right now, I'm just going to ask you to take one hand and just place it to your mouth. And right now in Jesus' name, I am praying for a fresh anointing for you of courageous humility. I'm praying an anointing for you of courageous humility. First, that you would lift your head, that you would know who you are, beloved, that you would know that he sees you, that he loves you, that you're his favorite child, that he is your strong tower, that he is your provider, that he is your defender, that adamantly he sees every person who's ever come against you. 
And he's always living not only to intercede for you, but to take you everywhere they failed to. Don't be on their hooks anymore. Forgive them and let them go. People let you down. They did wrong. They brought trauma. He's the healer. I pray an anointing that you would know who you are. I pray right now a humility that would come over your heart. That you'd be able to not need to defend yourself anymore. Well, they did this, but they did this, they did this. That you'd be able to stand up and say, no, listen, this is where I'm going to take responsibility for me now. No more pointing to everybody else. I'm responsible for my actions, not your reactions. I'm responsible for my actions despite your reactions. I ask right now that there would be an anointing of wisdom, that the Holy Spirit would come and give you every word that you need to speak as soon as you need to speak it. That when you go to this person, that even now, even this week where there's conflict and where there's a breakdown between you and this person that God very much adores, that he would start to unravel for you. I'm asking that accusation would fall around you. That all the things that you've built up of all they've done and all your rights, that it would fall. I'm praying that any place your heart is hard, that it would soften. I'm asking for the gift of faith to come that you'd say, okay, God, I don't get it all, but I believe that you have me. And I'm asking for a spirit of gentleness and courage to pour out of every word. Father, in every place where there's a broken relationship, I'm asking that your peace would come. I'm asking right now that you anoint every son, every daughter, that you would show them right now, even now, Lord, you would translate and speak to them exactly what to do, that they would know. I'm asking for the gift of your grace to unlock revelation, that where they've been locked up a long time, I can't forgive this person because they've this, that, and the other, that you'd come and move in such a way that that thing would untie in their mind and they'd be able to let it go. I'm asking that places where there have been generations of drama, of gossip, and it's been all around their family line, that now, once and for all, it would be cut and severed and go away. You'd send it off to a new destiny of them trusting in you as the anchor of their soul and you alone. Father, would you fill us with your grace that in every way we would walk as peacemakers.